Hello. Welcome to the Legends of King Arthur and his Knights. Chapter 3. A Tale of Two Swords Most of the princes, barons and knights of Britain were gathered at the great cathedral in London. All of those present held their breath. Anxiously, they watched as one of them pulled gently at a sword, firmly stuck in a very large, solid stone. If he pulled the sword from the stone, then he would be the rightful King of Britain. Every one of the watchers prayed he wouldn't be able to remove the stone. If he couldn't do it, then they would get a go, and maybe they would be king. The baron pulled, gently at first, and then more firmly. Pretty soon he was pulling so hard that he was drenched in sweat, and the tendons in his neck were tensed to their maximum. But hard as he pulled, he couldn't remove the sword. Eventually, crushed by his failure, he was led away from the stone by the archbishop. Another baron stepped forward, and the result was the same. And then another, and another. Before the day was ended, every single prince, lord and knight had tried to pull the sword from the stone, and not a single one had even shifted it a millimetre. They had to admit defeat. The archbishop declared that the rightful king of Britain was clearly not present, and they'd have to do the whole thing again. He proclaimed they would wait one week. On New Year's Day there would be a great tournament full of jousting and other good knightly stuff. Then they would again try to see who could remove the sword from the stone. Ten knights were chosen to stand watch over the sword. Before we get to New Year's Day, though, we must find out what happened to little Arthur, who had been entrusted into the care of the good Sir Ector. Well, pretty much nothing. Arthur was now fifteen and had grown up happy in Sir Ector's household, thinking that Sir Ector was his father, Sir Ector's wife was his mother, and Kay was his brother. Sir Ector, of course, knew that Arthur wasn't his son, but he didn't know whose child he was. He just knew that Arthur was descended from someone very important. New Year's Day arrived. The Knights of Britain excitedly prepared for the jousting. One of those preparing was the newly knighted Sir Kay. Sir Ector and his son, along with the 15-year-old Arthur, had travelled down the day before and stayed in lodgings near the tournament field. The three of them rode towards the jousting arena until Sir Kay a look of dread on his face, asked them to stop. "'You're not going to believe this,' he said. "'I've left my sword at the guesthouse.' Sir Ector, a look of fury on his face, was about to give his son a proper telling off when Arthur spoke. "'No problem, big brother,' he said. "'I'll ride back to the house and get it for you. "'We've loads of time before the tournament starts.' With that, he mounted his horse and galloped off. Sir Ector glowered at Sir Kay disapprovingly. Arthur's plan was a good one but it turned out to be a complete failure. He rode past the cathedral and the sword in the stone back to the guesthouse. He knocked on the door. Nothing. He knocked again, quite a lot louder. Still nothing. He virtually beat the door down. Still nothing. Everyone in the household had gone to watch the tournament and there was nobody at home. Arthur slumped away dejectedly, wondering what to do next. And then an idea came to him. Quickly, Arthur rode to the cathedral. Sticking out of a large square stone in the courtyard was a perfectly good sword. The ten knights who were supposed to be guarding it had also gone to the tournament and there was nobody around. Arthur, who had no idea about the purpose of the sword in the stone, strode over to it. He was in a hurry and he didn't have time to read the words which would have told him that whoever removed the sword was the rightful King of Britain. He simply took hold of the sword handle pulled the sword out of the stone without breaking a sweat, and rode back to Sir Kay. 
There was nobody in, so I couldn't get your sword, he said. Sorry about that. I hope this one will do. Kay recognised the sword immediately. He took it and strode over to his father. Dad, look, I have the sword from the stone, so I must be the rightful king. Sir Ecton knew his son quite well and wasn't immediately convinced. Putting on his best serious tell-me-the-truth face, he asked his son how he obtained the sword. Kay, realising he was going to get found out anyway, told the truth. He told his father that his little brother Arthur had given it to him. Ector called Arthur over and the three of them rode slowly back to the cathedral. When they got there, Sir Ector spoke seriously. Right, said Sir Ector. Arthur, how did you come by this sword? Arthur frowned as if the answer was obvious. I pulled it out of that stone over there. I don't want to alarm you, said Ector, but I think you might be the rightful king of Britain. Just to make sure, could you put the sword back in the stone? Arthur did, and the sword went back into the stone easily. When it was inside, the stone seemed to mould itself around the sword and nobody could tell it had once been removed. Arthur stepped back. Now, said Sir Ector, pull it out again. Arthur pulled the sword from the stone, and both Sir Ector and Sir Kay fell to their knees and paid homage to him as their rightful king. Then Sir Ector told the boy about how Merlin had brought him as a baby to Ector's house. Merlin had also given him some gold and told him to look after the child as if he was his own. He wasn't really Sir Ector's son. In fact, as it now appeared, he was descended from royalty. Arthur was distraught. His world had been turned upside down in the space of a few seconds. I have lost a father, a mother and a brother today, he mourned. If I really am to be king, then you must be close to me. What can I do to thank you for the way you have brought up a boy who wasn't your own? I will always think of you as my father. Ector smiled sadly. You will always be my son too, he said. All I ask is that you make your brother Kay seneschal of all Britain. Arthur smiled. Seneschal, the person in charge of all the servants in the kitchens for the royal court, was probably a really good job for Kay. Any night he forgets to take his sword to a big tournament is probably not going to be the best fighter on the battlefield. Seneschal was perfect for Kay. Arthur nodded. Of course, he answered. While he and I both live, nobody else will have that job. All that remained was for Arthur to remove the sword from its rocky place in front of the Archbishop and the Princes and Barons and Knights of Britain. This was done a few days later. Everyone tried to pull it out, but only Arthur could do it. Unfortunately, the Prince's lords and knights were not entirely impressed. Many of them were not keen on handing the kingdom over to a boy, and demanded that everyone wait until the Feast of Candlemas at the beginning of February. The Archbishop agreed and ordered everyone to turn up again at that time. At Candlemas the same thing happened, but the leading men would still not have it. They demanded to be to put off the decision until the Feast of Pentecost. Merlin had had enough. At Pentecost he told the important men of Britain this was the last time. This time they would have to accept the decision. They realised the wizard was right. Of course, only Arthur could pull the sword from the stone, and this time the princes, barons and knights bowed down in front of their new king. Arthur was crowned king of all the Britons. True to his word... Arthur made Sir Kay Seneschal of Britain. Sir Baldwin was made constable, in charge of chivalry and the armed forces. Sir Ulfius was made Chamberlain. 
Not long after his coronation, Arthur and his knights and forces travelled to Wales, to the city of Caerleon. There he was crowned again in front of some of the kings of parts of Britain. He was to be their high king, and they were there to receive gifts from their new king. Present at the banquet were six kings. There was King Lot of Lothian and Orkney, there was King Urians of Gore, and King Nentris of Garlot. The other three were King Carados, King Aguisant, and a king simply known as the King of a Hundred Knights. In total, they brought nearly 3,000 knights with them. The banquet did not go well. Instead of receiving their gifts and paying homage to their new king, the six kings refused any presents. In fact, they went further. They declared they had presents for King Arthur, and they were not nice presents. They would give Arthur the gift of having his head separated from his shoulders. They were not answering to a boy. The knights on both sides drew their swords, and a terrible indoor battle took place. Eventually, Arthur and his knights forced the kings and their men out of the city. The six kings laid siege to Caerleon. During the battle, Arthur broke his sword. Arthur was, to say the least, a bit miffed by this development. He had pulled the sword from the stone three times in front of everyone to prove he was the rightful king, and now these six kings were refusing to recognise him as their overlord. What made it even more annoying was that three of the kings were married to his half-sisters, although Arthur didn't know this, as he had not been told who his mother was. Arthur decided he needed some help with the situation, and he summoned Merlin to Caerleon. Merlin went to speak to the six kings. They asked him why they should accept Arthur as their king. Merlin replied that he was the son of Uther Pendragon, and therefore the rightful king. There was no reason not to accept him, and he was destined to bring greatness to all of Britain. It would be much better for them if they were on his side and part of this new greatness. Some of the kings wavered and started to change their minds, but King Lot declared that he refused to believe the words of a dream reader. He wanted to speak to Arthur himself. Merlin, probably a bit annoyed at being called a dream reader, went back to Caerleon and gave Arthur the news. Arthur, along with Sir Kay, Sir Brastius and Sir Baudwin, strode out to meet the kings. Strong things were said on both sides, but there was no agreement. Arthur stated very clearly that he was the rightful king and it was their duty to pay homage to him. The kings refused and Arthur went back to Caerleon and prepared for battle. Merlin gave the kings one last chance to give in, telling them they had no chance of winning. King Lot's reply was predictable. We are not afraid of a dream reader. Three hundred of the six kings' men, though, didn't see it that way. They came to Caerleon and announced they were changing sides. Merlin returned to Arthur and told him to prepare for battle. Arthur was ready, except for one thing. He had his loyal barons and knights, he had the support of the common people of Britain, he had his wisest adviser, and he had three hundred extra men. So, what was missing? Well, it was this. Arthur didn't have a sword. He had broken his during the first battle with the six kings and their men. Merlin, said Arthur, I need a new sword. Merlin smiled. Well, he said, I know a woman who has one. Follow me. The wizard and the king strode away from Caerleon until they reached a large lake. King Arthur strained his eyes in the darkness as he looked out over the lake. He rubbed his eyes in disbelief as a strange sight slowly came into view. In the middle of the lake, sticking straight upwards out of the water, was an arm. Held in the hand, on the end of the arm, pointing perfectly upward, was a sword. 
and a quite magnificent sword at that. The arm, hand and sword were perfectly still as the water lapped around them. Arthur looked at Merlin, puzzled. Merlin gestured to him that he should continue to look at the lake. Arthur turned back and saw a woman floating on the water. Ah, said Merlin, that is the lady of the lake. The sword is hers. Ask her and she will give it to you. The woman floated to the land and stood up. Arthur nervously opened his mouth. That sword over there, he said, it looks magnificent. I wonder if I could have it, as I don't have a sword of my own. The Lady of the Lake smiled. Arthur, she said quietly, that is my sword. It is called Excalibur. You may have it on one condition. Sometime in the future I will come to you asking a gift. Whatever I ask for, you must give me. If you agree, then you may row out to the hand and take the sword. Be sure to take the scabbard too. It is even more important. Arthur accepted gratefully. He and Merlin rode out to the arm and took Excalibur from the hand. They also took the scabbard. When the sword and scabbard had been taken, the hand disappeared beneath the water. When they returned to the shore, the Lady of the Lake was gone. Before they mounted their horses, Merlin touched Arthur on the arm and asked him a question. Which do you prefer, he said, the sword or the scabbard? Arthur looked at Excalibur. It was made of shining steel and the handle was encrusted with jewels. The scabbard looked ordinary in comparison. I prefer the sword, of course, scoffed Arthur. Well, more fool you, admonished Merlin. The scabbard is worth ten of the sword. Whenever you have the scabbard upon you, you will not lose any blood. Use the sword well, my king, but never, ever lose the scabbard. Arthur nodded, slightly ashamed. Silently they rode back to Caerleon. The next day there was a great battle. Arthur, though still only sixteen, led from the front and fought bravely and well. Sir Kay, Sir Ulfius, Sir Brastius and Sir Baudwin all swung their swords valiantly. The battle was going well until King Elot, the King of a Hundred Knights and King Carados launched themselves at Arthur. The King, Excalibur in hand, parried and thrust his sword, trying to save himself. His knights came to his aid, but his horse was killed under him. King Lot hit Arthur hard with his sword, and the king fell. His knights battled back, and Arthur drew Excalibur. With a shout of fury he led a charge. The knights charged with him, and so did the people of Caerleon, armed with clubs. Many of the six king's men were killed. They fled from the battlefield. King Arthur wanted to follow and finish the job, but Merlin stopped him. You will not win today or in the near future, he advised. You will need help from abroad to win this war. Go now to London and meet with your barons. There we will decide what to do next. King Arthur and his knights rode slowly back to London. Once there, they would plan how to win the war against the six kings. Next week, we will see what those plans are. Until then, have a great week and I'll speak to you next time.